Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. For years, I just dreaded going to the dentist. But at Advanced Dentistry, I don't have to. First and foremost, they want you to feel comfortable when you walk in, like you'll feel it. Whereas in the past, I might have gone into the dentist and thinking, I might feel some pain at some point. But with IV sedation, it can be something that you don't dread. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, you're not alone. Visit NoFearDentist.com to learn how IV sedation can change your life. This is DeRay, and welcome to Pod Save the People. Welcome to June, and happy Pride Month, everybody. This episode, the gang's all here. It's me, Diara, Miles, and Kaya, talking about all the news that you don't know from the past week, all the underreported news with regard to race, justice, and equity. We talk about presidential candidacies, community policing, the evolution of AI, and what's happening at Rikers. We also honor the life and legacy of the late Tina Turner. Great conversation and more interviews coming this month. Here we go. Family, welcome to another episode of Pod Save the People. I am Diara Ballinger. You can find me on Instagram at Diara Ballinger. I'm Mousy Johnson. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Feral Rapture. I'm Kaya Henderson. You can find me on Twitter at Henderson Kaya. And this is DeRay at DIY on Twitter. I was very excited to get into the summer, but week after week, these dum-dums are announcing their candidacy for president. <laughs> This week's contestant was Tim Scott, who I haven't been able to stomach. I don't know, probably since I was in, in law school. I don't know. It's been like years and years with this man, this, this Black Republican from South Carolina torturing us with his really absurd politics. Um, I don't know who is supporting his campaign. I just... I just, I want to know what's happening with the GOP right now. And it's going to be fascinating to see what happens at their convention because it seems like they'd want to throw all their eggs into the DeSantis bucket since he has just gotten so popular um, and had so many successes in Florida. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't have anything positive to say about Tim Scott. Not one thing. Well, this week you had Tim Scott, you have... um... Uh, Mike Christy. Pence, Chris Christie, oh. right? There's a whole lot of action going on with people stepping up to um, to run. And I think one of the things that was interesting that happened this week was the GOP is requiring these people to sign a loyalty pledge, which basically says that um, that all of these candidates will ultimately endorse and support whoever the nominee is. And I think that is fascinating because, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm there like, if you want our money, which is fair, right? If you want our money, then you got to support the eventual candidate, the person who's, you know, who is successful in the process. And the real question is whether or not Mr. Trump is going to, is going to sign the loyalty pledge, right? Because, you know, he don't give a hoot. Oh my goodness. <laughs> still no pots, you know, I have a praying grandma, still no possibility of jail time for Trump. What's going what's going on? Can he, um, can he be can he I be think being? I think there is I think the Mar-a-Lago thing case is proceeding and the Georgia election fraud case is proceeding. I think uh, we just don't know what the timing is on these things. But it's not, I mean, there's there are still possibilities for sure. Okay, well, let God be true quickly. <laughs> and on the um, on the Democrat side, I don't know if you saw that um, RFK Jr. has said that he's running on the Dems. RFK Jr., the son of Robert Who? F. Kennedy. RFK- no, he can't be a junior. <laughs> he's a junior? Yeah, RFK Jr. He's got to be like Jr. a third or something. No, oh, Robert Kennedy Jr., 
he's, I mean, he's 70 something, but he is, that's him. (laughs) (laughs) It's him, RK Jr. So as you, as you might know, he is a big conspiracy theorist. Um, And he is a vaccine denier. He went on record saying that he talks to dead people regularly, but then clarified that he gets no strategic advice from them. He is, uh, as listen. Why are we talking about this? (laughs) But I'm also listen. They have so many dead people in their family. If he need to talk to some of them, that is all right. (laughs) And um, he's a big vaccine truther, like anti-vaccine guy all the way. But it was a big deal because Elon and crew like propped him up on Twitter over uh, over the weekend. Sweetly. And Jesus. they like retweeted him and was like, you know, somebody needs to challenge Biden. It was that they sort of flamed that rhetoric up. And I just like everything what people said about DeSantis and them. And Lord, this is just going to be a rough go around. And, you know, the we can't not talk about the Biden trip. Biden tripped on the stage. Oh, no, Dre, please, Dre. Yeah. No, no, no. And I'm just saying it no, happened. No, no. And it, it was just like the only thing people were talking about. I'm like, the man tripped, y'all. I don't know what else to... I don't know if this should spawn 50,000 think pieces. Yeah. He, he's not be, he's not being those old men allegations. And, 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 <laughs> like, <laughs> I just think that that is so much of anybody who's dissenting against Biden. I think that's so much of the narrative and what people think about um, when it comes to him. So, yeah, even something as, you know, Normal and human as a trip, it just looks just looks extra crip keeper coming from um, <laughs> Biden. You know, it's, falls it's scary. falls falls hit very different for older people than they oh, do that for age. People. I know, and so it is a real concern for sure. But I mean, you know, we've talked about this before, right? The fact that we got all of these old folks who are running our country like that is a it's not the sign of a healthy country. We just went through the Diane Feinstein thing, oh. and uh, like this, this is problematic. And having, you know, when you think about the stress of the presidency, that thing is real. So I think people are not being unreasonable to question his physicality, um, and you know, some people are spry and whatever. Anyway, let's talk about something else, y'all. Jeez, Louise. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even. <laughs> oh, Little Mermaid. We were going to talk about Little Mermaid. Miles and I haven't seen it yet. I hope. I, I mean, that, me- that means that means more for Miles on, on Twitter than it does for I, obviously. For, so first I of all, Viara, <laughs> what I tell you all what I haven't seen in private <laughs> is not the same thing that I say <laughs> that I haven't seen in public. Now you done blew up my whole spot. <laughs> How am I supposed to be black culture credit? Miss we- <laughs> <laughs> Diara, you are an op. Like the young, like the young kids said. <laughs> we're we're going to see it very soon. We're going to see it very soon. And we'll have Allegedly, since I'm still going to hold on that I've seen it. <laughs> Let me tell you, uh, the movie did with black people as an experience, as you already know. And I go, we go on, me and my friends go on the, the night opens on Thursday. And the part of your world, part of this world, part of that world, your world, their world, part of that world, that song comes on very quickly in the movie. It's probably like maybe 10 minutes in, she's singing it. And this little kid next to me goes, Dang, they singing it already? I'm like, I love us. <laughs> they said the song already? <laughs> and then, as you know, because you've seen The Little Mermaid before, like, you know, the prince drowns or is drowning and she rescues him. All of that happens early because that's the setup for the movie. And, you know, she's singing over him to bring him back. And this is all early. And one of the other kid goes, that's weird. She don't know him. And I'm like, I <laughs> love it. It was like the best commentary because you're like, it is sort of dramatic that she's like singing over this boy in love with him, has not even met him conscious because he was drowning. And the little kid was like, that's weird. She don't know him. I'm like, I love us. I do love to see the um, kind of the social media protection of the film. 
um, every now and then there's something that like, I guess enough people decide needs to be successful or needs to be coveted that they're like, no. So uh, like, and just like block stuff. So I remember seeing this article that was bad um, about how the Little Mermaid should like glossed over timing and chattel slavery and, and, that article I saw get just annihilated by everybody, which was fun. I saw somebody suggest that like Hallie should have like redder hair. That guy <laughs> annihilated. I just like that to see like all these black people say no, it's perfect. No, it's perfect. We probably won't actually get true constructive critiques or whatever about this film until ten years until we're like in in the black with it. Do you, do you think that has a little bit to do with like? She's like a tentacle of Beyonce in the beehive is also like, don't do anything that we don't want. No, because people are very mean to Chloe. So, oh, no. Why? Why is that? I don't know. Don't, I'm the wrong person to answer. I just saw them, I just saw them on That's My Jam and Chloe was doing all the things. She was fantastic. I don't know those girls like that, but I think Chloe has just had a very public, artistic, Up and down roller coaster, you know. I, so I, I think identity like a, like a public identity crisis. So I think that, that some people are critiquing her public identity crisis really harshly. So we, I didn't get to speak about this. We didn't get to speak about this. But my news is about the passing of the legendary, iconic Tina Turner. Tina Turner is obviously probably nothing I could say that has not already been written in like 10,000 articles by now about Tina Turner. She is uh, one of the architects of rock and roll. She uh, has been influential to rock stars like Mick Jagger. Um, I think the other thing that I became, I always knew, but became more illuminated about um, with Tina Turner's passing is how much of her DNA is just in every, everybody's performances and in every and in everybody's um stage presence and how when I do think about because obviously the connections between like a Beyonce or a Beyonce and a um and a Janet Jackson or a Beyonce and I'm a Diana Ross are easy but like it's really Tina Turner who somebody like Beyonce has taken so much um so much lead from and I was just really inspired by her life. And often, you know, when people pass, I think there's just like public sadness and melancholy, which there was, but I don't know, y'all. It just, it was just really hard for me get to get to a sad place about Tina Turner passing when you know what she went through, when you know that, you know, she was just living in terror for so many years. And then she grabbed them beads child and ran across that highway and had a whole second life, according to the film. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how much that is um of uh, cinematic poetry. But it's just it's just hard to see somebody who's been such a survivor and be a champion and be so talented and so influential. It's and and find love again. And her 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 man gave her a kidney. I asked Sonny, my partner, would he do that for me? He said, "No, I think that if your kidney goes, <laughs> <laughs> that might be your time." <laughs> and who am I to intercept God? And I said, "Okay." I need to grab me my beads because obviously it's, it's I'm not. Chant- That's good to know. Right. I'm not chanting hard enough. But, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, just an inspiring life. Really hard for me to get to a sad place around Tina Turner. It's just all admiration, all love, and just, yeah, just internally, eternally, excuse me, inspired by her influence. And if you have a favorite Tina Turner moment, Oh, I would like to hear a favorite Tina Turner moment. I will say before the favorite Tina Turner moment, um, the documentary was just so sad because people didn't do right by her, you know, for so long. And, you know, what was it that question when they were like, were you happy? And she was just like, no, you know, it's like people did wrong by her for so long. People joked about her. Still the Beyonce and Jay-Z, that beeline is like, you know, eat the cake anime. It's just like people, you were, your trauma was a joke for so long. 
So that is what stuck out to me. And then the other thing was um, I was watching a clip of a portrayal of the trial where she was like, I don't want nothing but my name. And like that scene was just like an iconic, you know, as Ike terrorized her and and abused her in, in every way that you could imagine. She's like, all I want is my name. And it's like, she got it, you know, and, and became the Tina Turner that we all know. And, and then I was looking back at the performance where she goes out on that, um, on the, the, the walkway thing, that steel beam, no harness, no ropes. I'm like, Tina, <laughs> who insured this tour? Who, who had insurance on this tour? Cause she was out there in heels running with not a harness in sight. Tina did it. Goodness. Yeah. I mean, I feel like she gave so much and, you're right, DeRay, like people didn't treat her well at all. Um, even after she got, even after she, you know, left mm. Ike, it took a little while before she hit big and she was, you know, playing in cheesy lounges and stuff like that. But what was interesting to me is how she chose to live the final half, the final act of her life, which was incredibly private. Um, just her and her man in Switzerland doing their thing. And, you know, um, I was especially taken by the piece in the article, which talks about the fact that while like we celebrate the fact that she used her trauma to empower people and to you know help survivors cope and whatever, that like she was reliving that trauma with every movie, with every Broadway thing, with every interview, right? Like over and over and over again, your trauma, you know, that was that maybe that was thirty years of her life of a you know eighty year life, and. We don't talk a lot about how she lived the last 30 years and, you know, people sort of totally downplayed her final relationship, the the marriage that she had um, with Erwin Bach. And and I like it. I'm, it. It makes me it resonates with me because like my greatest wish is that people can be free and happy. And it seems like she found her freedom and her happiness and like that's like that's the real freedom <laughs> the freedom mm-hmm. is not just freedom from ike or you know making a hit record like she found her happy and like we don't have access to that but we don't talk about that at all and that is the thing that sort of struck me about her death so i've been playing around just with this this concept or theory of mine that this whole narrative around Black women being so resilient and you can just beat us with a stick and we'll still survive. And I think it's false. I think that the survival and the thriving of Black women actually comes from our ability to create boundaries, our ability to take care of ourselves. And I think Tina Turner is a perfect example of that. This woman was a Buddhist this woman um, moved to Switzerland, became a citizen of Switzerland, lived in Zurich. On my Instagram, I, my little tribute to her was her being like, when I look out across Lake Zurich, we don't know where her accent came from, but she got one. <laughs> and I think she is, and, and you're, to your point, she lived her life in private and she lived her life for her, I think, in those later years. And I think that's what I appreciate most about her is her ability to also just rest. She was like, I'm done with y'all and I'm about to rest my body. Um, So I don't know. I think that's what I've been really, really since she passed, really been playing around with this idea of Black women, you know, knowing we've we've been eating organic vegetables because we've been growing them. We have been moving our body. Like there's so many, so many examples to point to in terms of how we are able to take care of ourselves. And so I think Miss Tina was number one at that. And I hope to follow in her legacy in doing that as well. So thank you, Miles, for bringing Miss Tina to the pod. Don't go anywhere. More Pod Take the People's coming. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And it's your last chance to get more fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. 
Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this limited-time bundle ends June 30th. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Ready for an amazing deal? BreezeLine's fiber-powered internet, starting at $19.99 per month, offers the reliability you deserve and security you can trust. Whether you're streaming, gaming, or working from home, we've got all your needs covered with speeds up to 1 gig and our two-year price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with two free months of internet, free equipment, and free Wi-Fi your way to protect against cyber threats. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires July 8, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Actually, Powell sent me this article over the weekend, and I found it really, really fascinating. And it's happening in a neighborhood in Brooklyn called Brownsville. And what's happening is that instead of the police responding to 911 calls, they're relying on a nonprofit organization who really has been fighting uh, violence, been fighting uh, gun violence um, in the neighborhood. And it consists of, here, let me find. So the, the organization is called Brownsville In Violence Out. And what's happening is that for, it's, it's particularly happening on two blocks. It's five days a week. The police channel 911 calls to civilians. Um, unless there's a major incident or victim demands an arrest, um, the, these incidents get channeled uh, to individuals in this organization. Now, they don't have arrest power, um, but they have persuaded people to turn in illegal guns. They prevented shoplifting, kept a man from robbing a bodega, stopped a pregnant woman from hitting a boyfriend who had not bought a car seat. And they got into beef. I'm not going to read the particulars of it. Y'all go to the article instead. But they've been protecting um, people in kind of these more minor incidents. And ultimately, they're part of the Brownsville Safety Alliance. It's a group of neighborhood and city groups police officers, and members of Kings County, which is Brooklyn, the county Brooklyn consists of, um, Kings County District Attorney's Office. And they're trying to ensure that fewer people are arrested and and entangled in the criminal justice system, which I think, given what we know is happening at Rikers, is actually critical. Um, So men and women from Brownsville and Violence Out watch for trouble. They work with agencies offering services like free childcare, addiction recovery, uh, they distribute pamphlets um, about different opportunities for services in the city. And the city has seen this program to have some success. And so they're, they're looking to provide $2.1 million to help link local organizations like these to participate more frequently in the Safety Alliance's work, um, hoping that they can work co- cohesively as, as the years go on. Um, and this effort actually mirrors um, something that's that has sprung up, I think it's probably ha- happening nationally, but it's happening in New York and it's happening post George Floyd uh, killing in Minneapolis. And it's, yeah, and it's meant to really work with neighborhoods um, as a tool to one, again, keep people out of the system, but also really to use community to, to, to try to squash some of these incidents that are arising. And there's in, in Brownsville in particular, there's, you know, some some folks are for it. Some folks are against it. But it seems generally that most folks are are, are for it and have been supportive of this and, and, are, and are, are using it. Um, and, and how this came about is that Terrell Anderson, who in 2020 took over the Brownsville precinct, um, he just he knew that he needed to have a, a different relationship with the community and and. Folks had been complaining that officers had become more aggressive. They grabbing folks off the street to arrest them for minor offenses. And in 2019, there was shooting a Kwasi Ashun, a t-shirt vendor with paranoid schizophrenia, and he was killed as he swung at an officer. So this this particular inspector asked residents to to join this process. Um, and it seems to be having some. Some success. Um, another another story in this article that was that was 
was, you know, it just, one, it, it shows the gaps in our system, but also shows what happens when community members show up because they show up so much differently than police officers. There was a young woman who was found on the street and, and clearly had severe mental illness. Um, and the folk, the people in the organization called to try to see if they could get her a bed, um, but they wouldn't have one available for 24 hours. And so what they did is and they found a shelter for her to go to. Unfortunately, she was gone the next day. But it just goes to show um, that, one, there's just a deeper, greater care that comes with trying to, you know, get people the support that they need um, instead of, you know, having this woman be arrested and, and, and sent to jail. So I don't know. I just wanted to share this with the pod, um, you know, just curious around y'all's thoughts. Um, it's so interesting to me because even when I'm, I live in Williamsburg and I never see police officers, to be quite honest. I never see them there in Williamsburg. I live in a predominantly white, extremely gentrified neighborhood. But if I'm in Bed-Stuy or if I'm, you know, across Prospect Park, I see police everywhere and they never speak, which I find so interesting. And so, of course, I'm always speaking to them to see if they'll engage or whatever. But I just feel like there, there is even such a dissonance around police officers just just interacting with like basic manners <laughs> and basic like um and, you know, you are in a community. You need to act like it. You need to know what's going on. You need to talk to folks. You need to. And I just I don't I, I don't feel that um, in New York anyway. So I thought this was an interesting thing that the folks who are in that community are kind of taking matters into their own hands. Now, I will say I looked up the umbrella organization for this one. You know, it's all white leadership. It's clearly like a, a nonprofit that's going to get a ton of city funding. So, I mean, I have lots of thought, obviously, on like what's what's happening there, because most of these people you know all of the folks that are that are um, answering these calls that are funneled through 911 are all volunteers. Mm. So I don't understand why they're working for free when this umbrella nonprofit, I'm sure, is the one that's going to get some portion of that two one million dollars that the city has committed. Um, but that's, you know, y'all know mm. I love to look at leadership and a board. Um, but I think that that's for later, but just wanted to bring it to you. I thought it was fascinating. It seems like they're like really seeing success with this model. I thought Diara, thanks for bringing this. I thought it was a great example of two things that are really important um, to me. One is sort of co-creation with the community, right? Like over the course of my, like whatever, 30 years in the professional world, like the best solutions are the ones that come from the community because the people closest to the problem usually have the best solutions. And um, when, and they come when you actually co-create together, right? And so um, the community may not have the resources or the power or the access, but once you combine those folks with resources, access and power with the community's ideas and solutions, I think you get results that are positive, that are sustainable, that are, and this was a great example of that. The other thing that I thought is this really, to me, highlighted the reason why people from communities have to be in leadership. This didn't happen when there were random outsiders running the police department. This happened when a Brownsville resident became the precinct captain And even when he was transferred, it it continued because another Brownsville resident, like homegrown people who were in leadership in the police department, believed enough in this community, right? They they come from the community so that they know that these communities actually have assets and assets to be mined and to be utilized in problem solving. And so I think it's really important for us to understand that homegrown leadership makes a huge difference. Um, And so thanks for bringing this. I thought it was a great example of what happens when we actually believe in and invest in and support our own communities. We can solve our own problems. Yeah. Thank you for bringing this to the pod. Um, Really, really fascinating. I think I have a little bit of um, probably healthy, like intellectual tension around collaborating with the police. Um, and always will be weary about, about those things. Um, and, but I think any effort to stop people from interacting with 
um, incarceration is just well worth it. And I'm really hoping that more communities in more places maybe take this model if it works and spread it and use it and maybe, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a pragmatic optimist politically, usually most of the times, in my opinion. So <laughs> I would love to see a world in years to come where this is just normal because like um, DeRay said, uh, it feels like yesterday, but this might be like over three weeks now. But when we were talking about Kitty um, Kitty Genevieve, um, how like 911 was invented. <laughs> so it came from somewhere. It didn't just pop up. And I think we forget about that. Um, we might be looking at something that is being invented and you know maybe in 50 years that will just be the normal and we'll look back on certain times where we were all interacting with the police all the time and we'll be like that was a really weird era um yeah just you know rose-colored glasses i will say you know uh, this is important that it was in brownsville in a black neighborhood in the biggest city in the country because the other stories that get this much attention around alternatives to the police are always in predominantly white communities. So when you hear people talk, you're like, well, well, they only have 2% Black people. So of course they diverted the calls from the police. You know, like that, we we don't hear the stories and are like, we can replicate that. We hear the stories and we're like, okay, that was an outlier because there are no people of color, which is what we're trying to get to. So that was a big deal that this is Brownsville. And I, the only thing I'll highlight is sort of what you said at the, what you started to talk about at the end is that even with the best interventions and the best responses that were not people with guns, the structural supports that they even needed to connect people with, they failed. We're not there. So it's yep. like, what do you do when you call the crisis center and they tell you, just kidding, it'll we take another space. day? What yep. do you do when you get somebody to go to a shelter and they don't have a bed until you know, a couple mornings or the next morning? Like, what do you do when you actually do stop the crisis and try to get somebody to the service and, like, they just, the service is broken? And I'll talk about Eric Adams later, but but I, I'm always mindful that in these cities, even with the worst mayors, they cannot do it alone. There's a mm-hmm. council that enables it or, like, there, there is a structural check, even if leveraging that check is really hard, it exists. And that's what I'm reminded when I think about uh, this story and, and my news a little later. The other thing I'll say is I was in New York uh, last week and I was coming back from the gym and got off the subway and there were two police officers standing, like, look, they were in, they were inside the, they were past the turnstiles, they were inside and they were just watching people, waiting for people to jump the turnstiles. And it infuriated me. And I and I get out, there's this little Black girl. She must have been like maybe maybe a high schooler. Um, and she is needing somebody to swipe her in. Like she doesn't have any money. But the cops are just like waiting for her. And I swiped that girl in. And, and it was a moment where it was like, we don't have to live in a world like this. And the, the NY... Um, and the, the state of New York just released data that said they lost $690 million to fair, fair evasion last year, um, despite increased police presence. So, like, the police don't work anyway, y'all. The police don't work in all of the things. But when you read the headline, when people hear MTA, they think that is the subway system. And when you dig into it, more than $300 million of that was the buses, and then when you start to read even more, you're like, well, how y'all, how do you know who evaded? Like, what was, what's the metric? Like, how did you measure this? And it's like, they got sensors on the buses that I'm like, I don't even know if I believe this. You know, like, y'all are making up stuff at this point. But and the people, I, that, the people who use public transportation, most of the people who use public transportation and are evading fares are people who are in economic distress. And so, like, let's deal with that. I was sort of heartened by some news coming out of D.C. this week that um, Metro here, which, you know, also allegedly loses a zillion dollars or whatever, but they've figured out that they need to create a half-price system for people who are on public assistance. And that feels smart to me. I mean, we, we found out when I was running schools that, most of our kids were truant because 
their bus passes ran out halfway right. through the month, right? And so they weren't coming to school because they didn't have transportation. And so let's stop criminalizing this. Let's treat, these people need to go to work. They need to get around the city. They need to whatever, whatever. So let's make it reasonable for them. And then you don't have all of this fear evasion and whatnot. And the response can't be jail. You're like, right. that, yeah. that is a, right. It, or citation. It's like you're going to cite them for more than the cost of the fare in the mm-hmm. first place. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. Jail doesn't correct anything. You're right, Kai. It's like we should just do right by people on the front end. Like, let's help people because people are evading the fare because they literally can't afford it. And there was this great tweet that I saw. Somebody was like, you know, poverty is not, poverty is when you don't have enough money to live. It is not when you don't have a money enough money to afford a lifestyle. So it's like, because right. you can't live in a bigger house or buy, you know, more clothes, that's not poverty. Poverty mm-hmm. is when you don't have money to live. Hey, you're listening to Pod Save the People. Stay tuned, there's more to come. This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, Sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com. And this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. My news this week uh, examines the impact of ChatGPT on jobs in the United States. And I'm bringing this to the pod because I feel like there are a lot of people who have no idea about what this technology can do or how fast it is expanding. Um, And if you have not played with a little chat, GPT is free. Um, Just download the app and get in there and see what the thing could do. The first thing um, when I was when I started playing with chat GPT, I had just had a speech written Um, I was doing a speech somewhere. And so I called my old chief of staff and I said, look, I need you to write me a speech. He said, okay, great. I said, I'll pay you. Cool. He writes the speech. I delivered the speech. It was all good. The next week, literally, I start playing with ChatGPT and I'm like, write me a 100 word speech about education in the style of Kaya Henderson. And they're like, Hmm. Kaya Henderson, the former chancellor of DC public schools, who focuses on high out on on you know outcomes for all kids and equity and blah blah blah. Yes, we can do that. And it generated a 100 word speech that um, number one sounded didn't sound like me. Like it was me. It was better than me. <laughs> it was, <laughs> I, and I called Pete and I was like, Pete, you are out of a job, <laughs> and. And that is what my article is about this week. Um, some economists actually predict that artificial intelligence 
technology like ChatGPT could replace hundreds of millions of jobs in a cataclysmic reorganization of the workforce, mirroring the industrial revolution. That is a direct quote from the article. Um, people are feeling the impact right now. Um, and um, they highlight a couple of folks. Olivia, who's a 25-year-old copywriter in San Francisco, who lost her job because it was cheaper for her company to generate documents and writings with ChatGPT than her. Um, And they also highlight a guy named Eric, who's a 34-year-old content writer in Indiana, who lost his entire business. He had a content writing business and he wrote for lots of companies. And he lost his business overnight because all of his clients went to using ChatGPT. People like copywriters, document translation and transcribers and paralegal work, um, those those fields are are seeing the immediate impact of this. Um, People in the first, this first wave is really writers of marketing and social media content, and they're being replaced by chatbots. What's interesting is that Um, the jobs, everybody sort of understood that um, technology could could eliminate the really menial jobs and and low, low level jobs. But this AI currently performs more like a high-end intern. So um, those kinds of um, jobs that are sort of entry-level in offices are really what this technology is targeting. Um, They are coming for jobs that were supposed to be automation-proof. These are high-earning jobs, creative jobs that require the most educational background. And Goldman Sachs predicts that 18% of jobs worldwide could be automated um, by this technology. Um, They feel like lawyers are sort of the next target. And while the technology is not so great right now. There's a there was an article about a lawyer who used ChatGPT to prepare briefs for a case, and the technology came up with all of these fictitious cases and whatnot. And and you know it was it was a bad legal strategy. The thing is, this technology is getting smart really really fast. And so what ChatGPT four, which was just released mid April, can do is way different and way better than what ChatGPT three could do, you know, in November. This thing is happening like hotcakes. And the more you feed it and the more information that it has, the better it gets. And so I feel like um I feel like this is something that especially members of our community are not really aware of. Um, I was talking to um a 17-year-old little black boy here in Washington, DC. And I was like, have you played with ChatGPT? And he was like, what? Meanwhile, you know, my friend, my white friends, my wealthy friends, their kids are using ChatGPT to refine their essays or to generate <laughs> their essays or to do homework or whatever. And so I think that um there's really a need for our community to understand what this technology is, what it does. Um, and to understand the future of the job market. What's interesting, one of the most interesting things is that the jobs that are safest right now are jobs that require physical labor um, or jobs that are that happen outside. And so um, Olivia, the copywriter who lost her job, is, is becoming a dog walker. And let me tell you about, so as somebody who pays a dog walker, they make a lot of money. Um, Eric, who lost his business, is actually pursuing HVAC training and plumbing training. And I think what we will see is a return of the importance of the trades, um, the construction trades, vocational trades, because while some of that is automatable, some of that you can automate, (laughs) a lot of it you cannot um, because you can't put a computer outside when it's raining. How about that? So I brought this. To my I love that summary <laughs> because <laughs> I brought this to the pod because I feel like y'all the computers are not coming. The computers are here. Um, it is only going to happen more and more quickly, and we need to understand what is going on. 
Okay. So DeRay and I were at TED this year where there was a whole day of AI conversations. So the chat GBT guy, um, Greg Brockman, he's one of the co-founders. He did a talk. It was the most terrifying talk. It was like Dark Vader dressed in white tech man's uniform was up there talking about how amazing this product was and how it was going to improve humankind. Now, he couldn't give not near one way it was going to improve the humankind. And the more he went on in the examples he gave, I was like, this is wild. What is happening to, what is, what is going to happen in this world? And what we have to understand is the folks who are putting money and resource and power into this movement are folks who really only have to gain, right? So they are true capitalists in the truest sense. Elon Musk put $50 million into this thing. It (laughs) Right now, uh, chat GPT is estimated at $29 billion. So this thing started off as like an open source. It was cute. It was nonprofit. It was trying to figure all this out. And now this is like a money-making thing. And it is to to keep capitalism going, to keep companies, to allow companies to be able to improve their margins. I am terrified of this thing. And what's what's really awful about it is that AI, and I've seen it and I've seen examples of it, particularly Kai in education and in health, where if we used it properly and we used it actually for the purpose of improving humankind, it would be extraordinary. Like there was something, there was one talk where at TED, where this 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 one individual was using AI to actually figure out how to create more opportunities for people who were immobile. Like it was absolutely incredible, right? Um, and when I think about you know, all all the, the brain power that is needed to distill different types of testing to be able to get you a, a proper diagnosis. Like AI could be extraordinary in, in, in addressing that, but it's not used for that. It's used to figure out how to cut costs and cut jobs to keep the rich people that invented it rich, the same rich people that invented the internet. So that's all, I, that's what I have to say about that. Thank you, Kaya. I'm really on both sides. And it's in, and I and I feel so bad about it. I think the first thing that's really shout out that comes to my mind when I was on Chat GPT though, and then as you were telling the story, DR again about it being like twenty nine billion dollars, I was really like surprised at how ugly everything looks. Like I think that <laughs> I can't wait until they get to like the the. I feel like it's trying to be futuristic looking and it like it just looks ugly and not cute. I can't wait until they um get that together. Uh, till yeah, the come in. like I'm like, can't the AI <laughs> generate something more cute like cuter? Yeah. Um more yeah, you know me, child. But um I I mean I agree with what everybody is what everybody is saying and the concerns and the and the gifts of it. I guess I'm just wondering. Do you think that there's going to be like, so um, uh, some, some, I I forget their name, but they were talking about how a lot of black or excuse me, how a lot of queer LGBT people in general get a lot of their money in June. So a lot of graphic artists, um, a lot of people writing essays. I'm one of those people talks or whatever. So a lot of the graphic artists, um, they were saying have, totally lost their income for June because a lot of these companies have pivoted to AI. And that was that was really scary for me. And of, and of course, if you're an LGBT artist, like June is the biggest deal ever. Like people live their year, <laughs> the rest of their year off of what they make in June. Um, so I'm wonder so when I when I was kind of hearing the tone of that post and the kind of rallying around that post, I'm like, is it gonna be like a movement to like ethically source work? You know, like is that gonna be a thing? Just how like now we care about like organic food and we care about um ethically like made clothes and stuff like that. Like, is that gonna be like a new thing where it or is that what needs to happen in order to make sure things don't go too far? Uh, that 
again, not not really a whole lot of uh, big critiques or thoughts, but just a lot of wondering, like, where is this going to go culturally for us? Sorry, I'm still old school about ChatGPT. I'm not, I don't believe it yet. I'm not there. <laughs> I don't trust it. And because I love, I love not, Uncle yes, <laughs> I'm not, I think it's cute to play with. It's like that cute toy that you put down and then go ride your real bike because this thing is dangerous. That's how I feel about, that's how I feel about ChatGPT. And it doesn't yet fact check, right? It gets, you know, even the talk at Ted, he was like, you know, when you multiply, when it multiplies some big numbers together, the output is just wrong and we know it and we have to teach it better. And it's like, I'm not sold on that. There was a, um, you know, there's a there was a whole thread on Twitter about how people are trying to use ChatGPT to replace therapists, right? Because it can it can crowdsource advice. So you ask a question, and you know that scares me. The idea that suddenly people will be going to quote therapy through ChatGPT that does not make me feel good. I found it with my grandma ChatGPT. I didn't call it something else. Um, <laughs> That's what it feel like. Some something that don't make sense. So yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I, I like get the the ability to process huge data sets and those sort of things. I'm really interested in it. I'm interested in it as a as an add on. Everybody who talks about it as a replacement that scares me. As an add on, cool. I'm interested in that. As a replacement, I'm not. But not even. I mean, it's not just an add on, right? Like so. I mean, part of the reason why the Hollywood writers are striking is because a lot of writing is now happening. Like, if you wrote for a daily show, maybe you had to, like, every day you had to write for eight hours. You had to find the jokes. You had to think about the monologue. You had to reflect on what happened today. You can say to ChatGPT, give me six jokes about something that happened in politics today, and it can give you six jokes. And so the writers are not fired, but maybe you only need them now for two hours instead of eight hours, right? And so... That's the kind of, even, even if it can't totally replace, the efficiencies that it creates for a business are like crazy for the bottom line. Like, you know, we think about it uh, as a curriculum company, about how it can help us write curriculum faster. And, and that's a good thing. But I think that, um, you know, I think there are lots of different use cases and I just want us, I, I'm I'm happy to be skeptical. And, you know, I'm the oldest one on this podcast. And so, you know, I'm happy to be the, the, the auntie who don't believe in it. But what I don't want us to do is ignore it and watch it overtake mm-hmm. us because mm-hmm. this thing is here. And just like any other big revolutionary shift, it's going to hit us the hardest, right? Whatever it is, if it's good, the good stuff is going to be good, but the bad stuff is going to be worse for us. And so I want us to stay on top of this. Um, I brought the the article a couple weeks ago about the dude who quit Google and was like, watch out y'all. This thing is going to make weapons of mass destruction. Like, now jobs are out. And I, like I said, I'm, I'm with you, Miles. I'm on the both end, right? There are tremendous, I've seen, I've seen um, programs that allow people to self-diagnose. You put in a bunch of different mm-hmm. things and it tells you, and it tells you very responsibly, like, this is what it seems like. You should check with your doctor. These are some questions to ask, blah, 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 blah. That ability to empower people in managing their healthcare is amazing, right? Like I've seen lots of good uses for it and there are likely to be lots of bad uses. So I just want our community to be aware and stay on top of this. What I will say before we like um, move on to that, you made me think about one of the reasons why I did start using chat GPTs because, and I don't talk about this like super often, but you know, mental health stuff for me is very real. Um, ADHD for me is very real. Depression for me is very real. And the things that ChatGPT, if for, for in my world, has helped and 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 improved on, and things that kind of can feel almost impossible to do, like it is like moving in mo- like in in molasses some days. Um, ChatGPT has like really helped like move those things along. Um thinking about like if I'm doing like budget sheets or something like that or any, you know, just any kind of like anything like that. So yeah, that was another um, component that popped in my, um, that popped in my mind that um, 
yeah, kind of like like what DeRay said says. Like I think that it can be a really cool like add on to your yeah your your life and um yeah. And Miles, like I think that's absolutely correct. And what I would implore upon these AI folks is actually to coordinate with government bodies, particularly ours, on how we improve. We know we just talked ad nauseum about the gaps in our social in our social systems. We have technology that can improve it, but these companies, because of, you know, sensitivities and quotes, refuse to coordinate with governments. There was a young man also at TED who was the same call to action. Like, we are behind in an AR arms race. Like, the reason Ukraine, one of the reasons Ukraine is doing so well is because of AI. So I think part of it, it's like, there's, you know, everyone's been calling for all the AI folks to like, come together and have some type of regulatory commission. No one's running to it. No one's running to it. Now we got to ask AI how to... (laughs) 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 Read a chat, GBT. How how do we... (laughs) Yeah, how do we... Yeah, how do we get your inventors (laughs) to work collaboratively and for the good of humankind as they they keep telling us? My news about Rikers. Rikers, as you know, is... Uh, the jail in New York City, remember that jails are where people go before they are convicted. Prison is where people go after they're convicted. New York City had the biggest jail in the country at one point. It's still one of the biggest properties in the country and thankfully uh, does not have as many people as it did before. But the reason I bring it up is that Eric Adams is the mayor of New York. He's been a general nightmare and Rikers is no different. So there's been a monitor at Rikers for almost a decade because of the human rights violations and the general mistreatment of people. And uh, the monitor's report, the last monitor's report highlighted that they have been covering up the deaths at Rikers. That is like the big takeaway. So there was a guy who, um, who recently died at Rikers And the report that came out of the Department of Corrections was that he died of a heart attack. And one of the things that the Department of Corrections does is that they will allow people to who who are going to die, who are likely to die, they will release them from the custody of care of the Department of Corrections so that the moment that they die, they're not actually in the jail. So it won't be counted as a jail death. Uh Just, you know, that's how they play the game. So this guy is... You know, they say he, the Department of Corrections says that he has a heart attack. Um, but what is true is that when the autopsy comes back, he has a fractured skull. And he was hit and beat on the island. And the monitor calls out in the report, like, I do not believe what the Department of Corrections is saying about this death. Now, we don't know exactly what happened, but we do know that it was not a heart attack. That killed him. And because he did not technically die on the property of Rikers or under the custody of the Department of Corrections, uh, Molina, the corrections commissioner, and Eric Adams are essentially not calling this a death at Rikers. And that is what the monitor is rightly pushing back on and saying, hey, that's shady. And it took, you know, his lawyers fought really hard to get him compassionately released because um, because the department was like not doing right by people. And, you know, Melina's like, there was no cover up. We need to investigate. But it's like, no, you said he died of a heart attack and he has a fractured skull. And that is not the case. Um, so so that is what that is what I'm bringing to the table. Melina's cleanup after he got called out on it was like, oh, he was on the way to the hospital and the ambulance and, and, you know, something happened on the way to the hospital that got him brain injury. And you're like, no, it was not the, it was not the ride to the hospital that killed him. Uh, and remember that 19 people, uh, were died in, in the custody of the Department of Corrections last year. And this year, only three people are listed as dying. And we are heartened by a low number of three, but we don't believe it. 
Like, we are confident that they are lying about the deaths of Rikers, that they're not reporting the deaths. And if you remember, uh, the Board of Corrections, which is oversight, they have now, Adams replaced the chair. So there is this guy who, like, doesn't care about any oversight. He's, like, very, corrections can do whatever. And the Department of Corrections used to have to release tapes or they used to have, have to let the Board of Corrections staff come in whenever they wanted, and they said they are not going to do that anymore. And the biggest thing is that after this last brouhaha about this latest death, uh, the Adams administration announces that they will no longer announce the deaths on Rikers to the press. They have a hard policy that they will no longer publicly talk about any of the deaths of Rikers. And it just is blasphemous. And again, a reminder that this New York City Council has allowed Adams to do this, and I am... He is a zero out of 10 in my book, but I'm equally as annoyed at the council at this point for the cuts to libraries and all this stuff. But they allow him to do this. They could rein him in and they have not yet. So I'm hoping that the judge who oversees Rikers does something about this. But the cover-ups of these deaths, and mind you, this guy wasn't convicted of anything. He was being held on a burglary charge, $10,000 bond, which he could not make. And now he is dead. I feel like I always feel Auntie Kaya's willies anytime you bring up <laughs> um these these topics i feel i feel i guess i just have like question like a like a question um when it comes to the like the press not getting like these release names of the depths anymore does that does that mean that the press won't have access to it like couldn't dig or does that mean records not releasing them does that make sense like could could you if you actively pursued getting those names, could you do that still? Yeah, so if you actively pursued, then you could probably find out. But you just, right now, if somebody dies, they, right. they say it publicly because that is a big deal because it's government, you know, it's a government. Right. Now they won't do that anymore. So so interestingly, we normally find out because it's like a family member, it's, a, it's like a small world. We sometimes will get tipped off and we'll call a reporter and be like, hey, we just heard from somebody inside that somebody died. Can you go figure it out? And the reporters will go dig, but the department says it eventually, you know? I mean, this is, this is my nightmare, right? This is why I am like deeply, deathly, psychosomatically afraid of jail because like things can happen to you and there's absolutely no accountability. Like this dude died from a skull fracture and these people said he died of a heart attack and you know, if some courageous medical examiner hadn't raised his hand and said, say what now, then you would have just thought Kaya died from a heart attack when she was in jail. Maybe the stress was too much when that is not exactly what happened. And so I just, I mean, for listeners who are new on the podcast, I am deathly afraid of all things incarceration. And this is just one reason why. Um, This poor man's family just wants answers. And, you know, I like there's no, I don't understand why there's any logical reason why you could say we're no longer going to announce deaths anymore, except that you're just trying to cover it up and decrease transparency. And that doesn't feel good at all. Um, and so it is disappointing. And I, tell us what to do. Like, who do we call? How do we, how do we demand that this thing changes, give us some action or something to do. Cause this feels, I don't, this does not feel good at all. At this point, Judge Swain, so the judge who is a federal monitor, she has all of the power with regards to the immediate corrective action. But the city council, the New York City Council is about to be up for a re-election again. And and the council really does have to rein Eric Adams and I have no hope for Eric Adams. So like I don't, you know, people should press him. If you know his donors, I would say he probably pays attention to that community more than he pays attention to the public. But it just is a, it's the floor, not the ceiling that, you know, we shouldn't lie about how people die and we shouldn't kill people. Like that is the floor. I also feel like, because what I, what I picked up mostly on is that obviously some of these homicides are because of criminal negligence and misconduct. So part of it is a law is being broken and to the extent that this Molina dude could be held accountable, but also the mayor who I'm sure is getting a call that another person has died at Rikers. Like 
what is the, I'm curious around like what New York City, New York State law is around one, the murder of somebody that's in custody. We know that there's laws that exist around that. But then also like, what are the laws around covering that up and who can be held liable or who could be held um, criminally, criminally liable there? You know, this is the other thing. So I, that's a good question, John, that we should look into. And the other thing that I'm reminded of is that there's, and you all would know whatever the phrase is, but like political decency or political decorum or political tradition mm-hmm, mm-hmm. has prevented Schumer and um, Gillibrand and Bowman and the rest of the Congress people from just saying this ain't right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they are, you know, like they can't criticize him because he's the mayor. And, you know, AOC did press him like a, a minute ago about something at Rikers, like publicly was like, this is not right. But the decorum is going to kill us. You know what I mean? Like we need people with all types of power to come out and say, this is not right about a host. Even the library, the congressional delegation should get up and be like, no, this this makes no sense. But there's a there's a way that political decency and decorum has operated for so long. And it really does actually hurt us in the end. Yeah, I feel like Hakeem Jeffers would be the only one to stand up and say something. I think, you know, so many folks are so worried about their their public profiles. And like at this point, like I wouldn't count on Schumer to do a damn thing, to be honest. Like so disconnected from this this very issue and only worried about being in the White House more often than being um, a legislator for New York. But that, that yeah, you're on to something, DeRay. This is it's, it's wild. Well, that's it. Thanks so much for tuning in to Posse of the People this week. Tell your friends to check it out and make sure you rate it wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts or somewhere else. And we'll see you next week. Posse of the People is a production of Cricket Media. It's produced by AJ Moultrie and mixed by Evan Sutton. Executive produced by me. And special thanks to our weekly contributors, Kai Henderson, D.R. Ballinger, and Miles E. Johnson. This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring. Full throttle is half the fun. Where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.